chapter 6, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, as you've gone through life, have often thought, if I had just a little bit more, I could stop worrying? Anybody? I know that uh, that has been a temptation in my life, but my friend Tim, years ago, helped to cure me of this. You see, Tim is a guy who has a lot. Uh, Tim has trust funds and hedge funds. Tim has offshore accounts. He has homes in three states. He's got vacation properties in a few more. My friend Tim, he grew up with a successful businessman father, and at a young age, his father-in-law actually handed him the reins of a Fortune 500 company. And I met Tim years ago in Atlanta when, when I was briefly partnering with a church there. And Tim was an elder, and we became friends. Now, I had very little in common with Tim. But one thing we did have in common was movies. And so we would trade movie advice. We'd sit down, we'd watch them together. And one day he, he um, said, hey, Jim, you, you should watch this one movie called The Game. Now... If you've ever seen the game, you know that it tells the story of an investment banker who has been given this really unique invitation. It's an invitation to a game that interacts pretty uniquely with the issues and uh, times and uh, days in, in his life. But as the game goes along, it begins to blur. The game begins to blur with this guy's everyday life. And in the end, it really seems like what this game is all about is a big conspiracy to get his money. And so it was a weird movie, quite honestly. It was, it was pretty intense. I didn't like the movie that much. And I remember going back to Tim and saying, uh, Tim, weird movie. Um, why did you recommend that to me? And he said, well, Jim, welcome to my world. He said, this is how I feel. I feel just like that guy on a lot of mornings when I wake up. And I am tempted, before I even get out of bed, on all my electronic devices to check every account I have before my feet hit the floor. He said, I know it's irrational. He said, but this is the world that I live in. And, and you know, that was the first time I think I felt compassion for my friend Tim. You know, I mean, Tim was a, a guy who, to me, seemed to have everything together. He seemed to have it easy. But what Tim was telling me is, look, man, I worry just like the rest of you guys do. And in many cases, I worry maybe more. He was saying more is not necessarily better. He was saying, sometimes more just brings more worry. Now, you know, the paradox is that the more that, that Tim's portfolio grew, the more that he grew in worry and anxiety, and the more he lost peace. That was, that was my friend's reality. And yet, you know what? Tim faces the same paradox that you and I face every day. And here's what it is. 
things don't eliminate worry. And in many cases, they actually heighten it. How many of you have been lied to by things like this? If I could just have. If I could just have that one guy or girl that I really like. Or if I could just have that car. Or if my kids could just go to that school. How many of you have been lied to by that if I could just have before? I think we all have. And, you know, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news this morning. We're going to get to the good news. But what I want to say to you right out of the gate, church, is there is no earthly stuff. There's nothing of the stuff of this earth that brings us lasting happiness. None of it. Stand with me and let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. This is what Jesus says. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You can be seated. Now I want you to pay attention to the context of our passage for this morning. I mean, Jesus tells us not to worry right on the heels of this message about earthly stuff. A few weeks ago, Ed Stewart delivered a message on stuff. And... I don't find it uh, to be um, strange that Jesus follows up a lesson on materialism with a lesson on not worrying. Why? Well, because Jesus understood that the more one often has, the more they have a tendency to worry. I mean, materialism breeds worry, does it not? In your own experience, does it not breed worry? Now, you know, every once in a while when I am jumping into my beater Ford F-150, 
I'm reminded that Henry Ford said, after he made his millions in the auto industry, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. You know, I was on a road trip recently down to Asheville, North Carolina, and I had picked up some literature while I was down there about the Vanderbilt family. And I read that one of them had said at one point that the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Now, I can't speak from experience with that kind of wealth, but let me speak from the experience that I do have. I can speak from the experience of having nothing but debt. And at this point in my life, I can speak from the experience of having tucked a few things away. And it's true that both of those experiences have their differences. But let me tell you what they both have in common. Worry. One is a worry about lack. And the other is a worry about loss. Both are marked by worry. Now, I want you to listen to what Solomon said. We just read a little bit about Solomon in, in Matthew chapter 6. Uh, many have regarded him as one of the most wealthy, if not the wealthiest man in human history. And I want you to hear what he had to say in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I think it is going to be up here on the screen. Solomon said, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now listen, part of what he is saying is this. Things, earthly stuff, even relationships and people do not eliminate worry. Often they actually increase it. And herein I think lies one of the greatest paradoxes that we have in living the American life. We live in one of the most privileged and wealthy cultures in all of human history. We have more than many have ever had on the face of the earth. Even those who have less among us have more than most have had through human history. And yet, issues like worry and anxiety and depression are on the rise among us today at increasing and alarming rates. I want you to consider some of these statistics this morning. Stress and anxiety will significantly affect over 19 million Americans this year. 33% of those Americans will suffer job burnout at some point in their life over the course of their 
their vocational time in the workforce. 70% of Americans will find themselves at some point unhappy with their job because of stress-related issues. And 73% this year alone will worry about what? Money. Now, all those statistics, those statistics alone make me worry. I'm not even a math person. And, you know, I start thinking about all those numbers and all those challenges, and, you know, life gets complicated pretty fast. But I'm sure I'm, I'm like you in that I long for simpler times. Anybody else long for simpler times? I mean, I can remember when I was a kid growing up. When I was a kid growing up, there were three things that framed everything. I knew these three things were going to happen over the course of a week. My mom and dad were going to go to work. The rest of us kids were going to go to school. And then all together, we were going to go to church. Those three things framed everything. I didn't need a clock or a calendar. I could tell time by those three things. I didn't need a watch. And I didn't wear one until I was an adult. I'm not wearing one now. It's all right, I know what time it is. There's a clock on the back of the wall there. I didn't, I didn't need... Uh, you know, there were so many things I didn't need. I, I, I could just keep my life in order by those things. But today, fast forward 35 years, I am oftentimes stressed out by the clock and the calendar. Sometimes I feel like I am bound to it and I have to work hard to get free from it. I mean, there are times when I look, look at the clock and the calendar and I think, I am so far behind. And then there are other times I look at it and I, it's like I look out at things that are in front of me and I feel somehow like I am bound to those things. And they give me indigestion. You know, I, I'm, at this stage of my life, I worry more than I ever did as a kid. I'm going to share with you some things I worry about, okay? Can I do that? Can I just be honest and tell you some things I worry about this morning? I worry about my kid. Look, I love being a dad. It's my favorite thing to do. But, you know, I've only got one kid. One. And you know the thoughts that often come to me? Jim, you only have one. You better get it right. There are no do-overs. There is no law of averages here for you. Don't screw this up. I also worry about my extended family. It's big. It's not as healthy as it could be. 
We have needs in my extended family, and we also have responsibilities. And I'm concerned about our shared future together. I worry about this right here. Even when I think I have a good one, I worry about this. And let me tell you why. Because even if I stand up here and swing for the fence and give you 30 or 40 minutes of my best, and you walk out of here happy and you go and you sign up for the sermon out in the foyer, it is possible for me to get a pat on the back and to get a little ego stroke and still for me to have misconnecting you with the word of God. I worry about that. I worry that I will give you a decent message and you will miss God's message. I worry about getting separated from my girls when I travel. I love to travel. I mean, I've been traveling since I was too young to even remember what it was like to get on an airplane. I love to go. But you know, last year, I traveled through Charles de Gaulle in Paris just a few days before, before the attacks. And I'm just going to tell you, I haven't quite been right here when I travel away from home ever since. I worry about my weight. You know, I wrestled from the time I was five into my early 20s. And for all those formative years, food was the enemy. And victory was making weight. I am still trying to twist my brain loose from what that has done. I worry about some of the stuff that I would like to accomplish here. And I also worry that one day I'll get burnt out and that I'll lose love for what I love to do. Those are the things I worry about. What do you worry about? You know... <laughs> Church, worry is universal. It's a universal struggle. And, and it's why Jesus is so adamant here in this text about worry. I mean, Jesus, when he gives us this instruction not to worry, gives it in the form of a command. And he gives the command three times. So he's pretty intent on making it clear that we shouldn't be worrying. And I want to just say, I believe that he does this because of something Joel just said a few minutes ago. Worry actually victimizes us. And it victimizes everybody else around us. Now, I want to look at the text in particular and I want to show you why I think Jesus is so passionate about helping us to get free from our worry. Let's look at three reasons. The first one I think that we see here uh, when Jesus begins to teach, is that our worry is something we, we need to be free from because it ends up leading us to selfish decisions in life. Now take a look at verses 25 and 26. Jesus says specifically here that you shouldn't be anxious about what? Your life. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think he's hinting at one of the major problems with worry. 
At the end of the day, my worry, my anxieties are about me. You know, all my, you know, all my issues, my desires, my longings, these are, are me-centered. And worry is a me-centered kind of a thing. And I think one of the biggest problems that we have in our culture today is that we are being offered solutions for our worry that don't even, uh, maybe they do take into account that our worry is me-centered, but the solutions that they offer us, you know, I mean, they're like they offer us more me time. Do they not? I mean, let's, let's think about this for a minute. How many books have you read lately off the self-help shelf or how many websites have you have you visited recently that told you to recenter your world around yourself as you look for stability and and a hope for healing how many of them told you to look deep within yourself to find the solutions a lot of them now, you know, the list of strategies vary, but here's kind of what the self-help books and the self-help web websites say. They say some variation of this, all right? They tell you, reduce your stress. They tell you, prioritize and schedule your time better. They tell you to relax, and they tell you to be good to yourself. Oh, I, I get that. There's enough truth in, in some of that. But, but okay, how do you reduce stress? How do you do that? I mean, for instance, how do you reduce the stress of a marriage that has been struggling for the last 10 years? How do you reduce the stress of a, an interpersonal conflict at work that you have to stare at every day? How do you reduce the stress that comes from years of chronic pain and disease? Or how about just habitual sin? How do you reduce the stress from all those things? Well, I want to just hand you a few suggestions that I have found as I've been coming across some internet research. Can I do that this morning? Can I offer you a few of those? Here are a few suggestions from one web guru, and this is by no means an uneducated person. There are a few PhDs attached to this person's name. I'm going to give you, get ready to write, because these ones are good, folks. Get ready for this. Here's the first one. To reduce stress, blow bubbles. Plant a flower. Hum a tune. This is my favorite one. Feed the bunnies. And the last one, I guess if you're a cat lover, but listen to the purr of a cat or a kitten. I mean, that is so sweet if it was not insane. <laughs> I mean, this is what people pay for. 
They pay for this stuff. I mean, it's all diversion. I mean, you know what this is, church? This is the healthcare equivalent of turning up a Taylor Swift song so loud that you can't hear anything else. It is medication by distraction. I mean, and these strategies, they don't even pretend to offer you a cure. I mean, if you think that humming a tune is going to heal what haunts you, you are in trouble. I mean, a tune might cover the silence that you fear, but it is not going to take away the shame that you carry. You know, blowing bubbles might help you to forget that you're an adult for a minute. But when has it ever helped you to re-engage and put yourself back into a situation where you were required to seek the reconciliation that's necessary between estranged family members? It's not going to happen. What often happens with these me-time approaches is that, yeah, you'll start off blowing bubbles, but then you'll, off, you'll end up blowing off your marriage because you're just too stressed out to do what is necessary to stand and reconcile. I mean, worry is a me-centered problem to begin with, and me-time is not the solution. Now, there's a second and greater problem with worry that Jesus alludes to here in verse 27. Worry is useless. Jesus brings this point home when he says that worry does not add a single hour to any of our lives. Listen to these statistics on worry. It says 40% here of what we worry about never comes to pass. 30% of what we worry about happened in the past and we can't do anything about it. 10% of what we worry about is health-related, but here's the ironic kicker. Zero percent of worrying will fix any of that. Eight percent of worry is legitimate, but even then, your worrying about it won't do anything. I'm not talking about concern. You know, concern that actually causes you to get up and do something helpful and healthy and proactive. That's not what I'm talking about. Concern is one thing. I'm talking about worry. I'm talking about that stuff that keeps you from sleeping at night. Now, worry won't make the loan go through. Worry won't make you pregnant, and it won't make you unpregnant. Worry isn't going to pay the loan It's not going to pay the bill. It's not going to get rid of the cancer. Worry, Jesus says here, is utterly useless. There's nothing that it accomplishes. And then there's a final problem with worry that we see Jesus points out here in our text. He says not only is worry me-centered and useless, it is worldly. Now, basically what Jesus is saying here is worry is symptomatic of how unbelievers act. 
Look at what it says in verse 32. Take a look at your text. It says, For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Basically what Jesus is saying here is that the lives of those who could not care less about him are dominated by earthly stuff and therefore worry. And I guess what I'm trying to say here is that when we worry about our jobs and our health and our mortgage loans and our schools and our cars and our clothes, we are acting like pagans. We're acting like total unbelievers. Basically, Jesus is saying here that to be dominated in life by worry is essentially to show that you are not centered in your hope on a God who loves you, but you are putting your hope in the things of this world. That's what he's saying here in verse 32. Now, when your job is on the line because the industry is no longer sustainable, it is likely, worldly, to lose your stuff and go postal on everybody in the office. That's, that's worldly. When you have written checks that your bank cannot cover and you now get frantic instead of learning to rest and trust in the provision of God. This is worldly. When all your friends seem to be getting married and you're not, and you wring your hand instead of communicating that your hope is not in a relationship, but in Christ, that's, that's worldly. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that one of the best ways that we can actually demonstrate to the, go the gospel to the world is when we don't worry. So this morning, you know, my, my big idea here, my main idea is let's make a decision this morning to glorify Christ by making a decision not to worry. Now, that's what this text teaches. But how do you overcome worry? I mean, I think we're all still beginners in you know, overcoming worry 101. I think Jesus teaches us in verses 26 through 30. Let's take a look at that. He makes an argument that moves from lesser things here to greater things. Now, he begins with the lesser things when he says that our Heavenly Father takes care of things like birds and flower, flowers and grass, right? And then he moves on to greater things when he says, and so he'll also take care of you who are created in his image. Now, I want you to notice here how Jesus refers to God throughout the text. How do you see him referring to God throughout this text. Every time he responds to him here, he refers to him as our heavenly father. Now, that makes us children, doesn't it? And have you known many children to have much worry at all? When was the last time your kid came up to you and said, hey, 
Mom, Dad, you have the mortgage payment this month? They don't. I was up on Mount Washington uh, a couple of nights ago eating ice cream with my kid. We, we got a meal, we spent time together, we laughed, and we got ice cream, and I realized they only took cash. So I walked around the corner to an ATM machine while she stood right there, and I got back, and there she is, just standing there licking her ice cream cone, just licking her ice cream cone. Well, you know, I'm, I'm like just around the corner, and she's just... And she's making faces at the guy behind the, the ice cream stand. I'm thinking to myself, you got a care. You don't have a care in the world, girl. You're just eating your ice cream and making faces at people. But this is kid behavior. This is child behavior. She had utter trust that I was right there. She wasn't worried about anything. She trusted me. And what Jesus is doing here is, he is he's telling us, come on now. You can, you can trust him. You know that health scare that you have? He's not surprised by it. You can trust him. I know that you just lost your job. Don't worry. He's good. You might not recover the same salary, but he's good. And you can trust him. Look, I believe what Jesus wants to do with us here is to move us from lesser me-centered worry to greater God-centered trust. Now, look, the care that you need is not buried somewhere deep inside yourself that you're just going to find one day through a diversion. <laughs> no. I mean, the healing that you need, the restoration that you need... I mean, it is only going to come from the transforming grace of a God who deeply loves you. I mean, you are not going to overcome your greatest weakness until you get in the presence of somebody who is stronger. You are not going to overcome the fears of your worst failures until you get in the presence of someone who has a surpassing Love for people who fail. You're not going to be delivered from your greatest darkness until a greater light shines over your life in the face of the presence of God. That's what you need. You know, if you're drawing on family inheritance this morning, if you are drawing on the family inheritance of God's grace, then let me tell you, your habits make a difference. Okay? This is, this is the, the how part right now. We're shifting into how we overcome worry. Jesus in the text says, seek the kingdom. Now this is how we begin to seek the kingdom. Our habits. Our practices, those, those regular rituals of grace in our life that help us in our weekly rhythms of pursuing God and getting in His place of peace and getting into that place with Him where we can lay down our dreams and our idols and our hopes that often sometimes are nothing more than... Selfish flesh. 
until we begin to enter into those rhythms and practices, we will find ourselves having a hard time shaking worry. But when we step into those practices, those rituals, those habits, it is through those moments, it is through those means of grace, some would say, that we experience real and genuine happiness in the presence of God. It's where He speaks to us and tells us who we are. It's where He reminds us that that thing that we want so badly is the thing that's going to victimize us and steal from us. It's in those places that we begin to hear the intimations of His love. And it's in those places that we travel the road and actually find that as we move mile and mile and mile down, that we're actually getting free. We're getting past those worries. We're being delivered from those habitual sins. And we are being set free into a life of peace. Where does the weary soul find rest and relief from stress? What, is the, what does the Word of God teach you? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Where does the anxious soul find peace in its fears? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I might have been a little too hard on Taylor Swift earlier. Look, if you need to sing her song and shake it off, go right ahead. But what I want to encourage you to do this morning, what I want to plead with you to do, is find those things in your life Develop those practices that are not only going to help you shake something off, but that are going to help you to put on the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Church, just about any habit or practice that you do can help you to do that if it leads you to God. Let me ask you, what habit, what practice do you have that you are using this morning, that you are medicating your worry through. Let me ask you, is it delivering you peace? Is it delivering you freedom? Is it delivering you hope? If it is not, it's victimizing you. Jesus wants to teach you a new way to be free of your worry. You know, if you need to if you need to blow bubbles, go ahead. I don't care. But while you're blowing them, remember that every one of your sins has been forgiven. And if you need to plant a flower, man, 
go ahead. We need more flowers in Beaver County. But while you're doing it and you're digging around down there in the dirt, why don't you ask God to put down roots in you that are going to help you to come alive again? And if you need to hum a tune, man, go ahead and hum that tune. But hum that tune so that you can use it to help remember some of the promises of God's great care for you. You know what I like to do, church? I just like to get in my car. I like to get in any car for that matter. Doesn't matter what kind of car it is. And I, and I just like to get in the car and drive and go. And as I go, I, I pray and I sing and sometimes I yell and sometimes I cry and sometimes I even in frustration shake a fist but you know at every turn at every detour as I go over every pothole I'm reminded God is with me in the journey he has promised not to leave me or forsake me. Whether you are the victim or the victimizer, he will not leave you and he will not forsake you if you turn your attention to him. That's the love of our great God. And you know, when I get done driving and I get home and I take out the keys and I lay them on my table, just before I go to bed at night, it reminds me that he's not only with me in the journey, he is home. He is my destination. And there's nothing that anybody can ever do to steal that peace from me. If you want to learn how to begin to heal from worry, live before the face of God.